So today is the last day in our message series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've seen throughout this series that the fruit of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit has to do with growing more like Jesus. That's really what it's all about. Jesus perfectly displayed the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And so when you grow in the fruit, you're actually growing to be more like him. And uh, we've already looked at the first eight fruit of the Spirit, so today we come to the last fruit in the list, the fruit of self-control. Self-control. So we're in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at this uh, final fruit of the Spirit today, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to really understand uh, the importance of self-control and, and uh, Lord, those areas where we may be lacking in self-control and, Lord, the the awesome solutions that you offer us through your word and through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, speak to us, change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So have you ever asked the question, who's in charge here anyways, right? Who's in charge here? Perhaps at a busy restaurant or on a frustrating service call? Or maybe just at home with the kids, right? Who's in charge here, right? Have you ever looked at your own life and asked that question? Who or what is in charge of your life? Would you say that your life is under control or out of control? Or what areas of your life, perhaps, are out of control? You know, today we come to the ninth and final fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of self-control. Self-control means having power over your body's desires and passions. And it's really impossible to succeed at anything without some degree of self-control. We need self-control for health reasons. We need self-control just to complete everyday tasks. We need self-control for positive relationships with other people. And for the Christian, self-control is a necessity for living out our new life in Christ. A lack of self-control will destroy your life. And the Bible points out a number of areas where we especially need to exert self-control Perhaps you're familiar with some of them, areas such as overeating or greed and the accumulation of wealth, drunkenness, drug abuse, anger, fear, emotional outbursts, sexual immorality. And you know, many people's lives have been destroyed even by just One moment, lacking in self-control. Self-control keeps us alert and ready. 
It helps us to remain faithful and pray. It protects us from becoming easily swayed or weak-willed. It prepares us for action, and it keeps us from becoming ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God. So self-control is pretty important, isn't it? This is a real, it's, it's, you know, it's the last one on the list, but it's so important. And as with each of the uh, 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 fruit of the Spirit, we have a saying that goes along with each one. And, and uh, our saying today shows us that self-control has to do with your desires. I will grow in self-control as I allow the Spirit to subdue my desires. You see, outside of Christ, my desires are controlled by my sinful nature. And it's only as I yield control to God through the Holy Spirit that I will gain victory over those wrongful desires. And so really, the key to self-control is giving God control. Let me say that again. The key to self-control is giving God control. You gain self-control when you give God control of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been said there are men who command armies, but they cannot command themselves. We all need to grow in self-control. And so we're going to take a look at this important fruit together now as we finish out our series on the fruit of the Spirit. There's an outline in your worship guide. I would encourage you to take that out. It'll help you to follow along in the message. You may want to jot down some notes at various points as well. First of all, we want to see what the Bible tells us about self-control and God. Self-control and God. We've seen that with each of the fruit of the Spirit. We always begin with God because of the fruit, because the fruit of the Spirit are rooted in God's character. Remember what we said last week, right? God is the root, and we bear the fruit. And so what does the Bible tell us about self-control and God? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that God is sovereign and that he is in control of all things. And so God doesn't actually need self-control the way we do because he's already in control. Of everything, right? Ephesians 1.11 speaks of God as him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Philippians 3 speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so just as God is a God of perfect love and perfect joy, perfect peace, and and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, God is also a God of perfect self-control. God is purposeful in all that he does, and he is never out of control. He is perfect in holiness and in righteousness. He is perfectly consistent. He holds true to himself in all things. He is completely sovereign over all his creation. God is in control of everything. Now, sometimes people wonder about God's wrath and self-control. We read about God's wrath against sin in the Bible. Does God's wrath against sin 
mean that he is not in control of his anger? We know when we get angry, we kind of lose control, right? Well, when God is angry at sin, is he still in control? Well, absolutely. Because we actually define God's wrath as this. God's wrath is his controlled and righteous anger against sin. His controlled and righteous anger against sin. Psalm 711 says this, God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. Romans 118 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so God is a righteous judge who displays his wrath against sin every day. God's wrath is righteous. God's wrath against sin is never impulsive, never capricious, never overblown, but it is always perfectly controlled and in exact proportion to the sin. God is also patient with us as sinners. And God does not pour out all of his wrath. He could. He would be just and righteous to do that. But he doesn't. He's patient with us. And he does not pour out all of his wrath at once. For example, we read in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 5. says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. For the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Yes, God displays his wrath every day, but he holds back. And when when we don't repent, we're actually storing that up for ourselves. But when it is released, it will be in exact proportion to your sin. Romans 9.22 says, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience? The objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. And so God is patient with us as sinners. He does not bring final judgment right away. He gives us time, time to repent and to turn away from our sins. God's wrath is his controlled and righteous anger against sin. And then as with all the fruit of the Spirit, we also want to look at Jesus in his life on earth. And see, how did he demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in his life? Because once again, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus perfectly reflected the character of God. And when we look at Jesus, as we did with all the fruit of the Spirit, we see that Jesus, as the Son of God, demonstrated perfect self-control in his life here on earth. We read this in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. That's the key there, isn't it? Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he did it without sin. And that means that in all of the trials and temptations of his life, and there were many, Jesus exercised Perfect self-control. 
We see so many examples of this in the Gospels. We see Jesus' self-control in in resisting the temptations of Satan in the desert. In driving out the money changers from the temple, that was controlled anger against sins that were happening in the temple. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he chose God's will over his own. We see it at his arrest when he could have called upon legions of angels to come and rescue him, but he did not. We see self-control at his trial when he could have spoken up in his own defense, but he chose not to. We see self-control on the cross when he chose to forgive those who were crucifying him. In everything that Jesus did, he demonstrated perfect self-control in his life. So that's what the Bible tells us about self-control and God. A lot of important things there. Next, we want to see what the Bible tells us about self-control temptation, and desire. Self-control, temptation, and desire. We've already seen that self-control has to do with your desires, right? I will grow in self-control as I allow the Spirit to subdue my desires. Well, the Bible tells us that temptation also has to do with your desires, In fact, that's the whole way the temptation works is through your desires. Temptation attacks you through your old sinful desires. We read about it in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when When by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so the whole reason temptation works at all is because of your old sinful desires. That's why it doesn't work in God, right? James says God's not tempted by sin. God doesn't tempt any. Why? tempt anyone. Why? Because he doesn't have any sinful desires. And guess what? If you didn't have any sinful desires, you wouldn't be tempted either. In fact, you know, the good news then is this. When you become a Christian, you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit gives you new and right desires in Christ. He gives you new and right desires. We read Uh, from this earlier in the service, Galatians 5, 16 to 18. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, those new desires that the Holy Spirit has given you, you are not under law. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He gives you these new and right desires. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been given these new desires. But you know what? You still have to deal with your old sin nature. That doesn't drop off until Christ returns or or you go home to be with the Lord. And so there's this constant spiritual tug of war going on inside you. You go, yeah, I can relate to that. 
This tug of war between what the, the Spirit desires in you and what your old sinful nature desires. And you know what? Without the fruit of self-control, temptation wins every time. And so a big part of self-control is simply setting your mind on what the Spirit desires rather than on what your old sinful nature desires. And we read about this in Romans 8, verses 5 to 7. Those who live according to the sinful nature... They have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Did you notice the repetition of that word controlled in those verses? If you're controlled by your sinful nature, you cannot please God. When your mind is controlled by the Spirit, that means life and peace. When you set your mind on what the sinful nature desires, you lose every time. But when you set your mind on what God's Spirit desires, you live in accordance with with the Spirit. I will grow in self-control as I allow the Spirit to subdue my desires. So we've looked at self-control in God. Uh, We've looked at self-control and temptation and desire. And now finally we want to see what the Bible tells us about growing in self-control. Growing in self-control. How can we as Christians grow in this final fruit of the Spirit. One way to grow in self-control is to practice self-discipline. Practice self-discipline. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. And so without self-control, you are basically a sitting duck for the enemy, right? You are open to attack. And so you need to practice self-discipline regularly in your life. Self-discipline in one area of your life leads to discipline in other areas as well. There's a ripple effect, a positive ripple effect. The Apostle Paul knew this, which is why he said he made it a priority to practice self-discipline in his life. He wrote it this way, 1 Corinthians 9. He said, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. And now Paul gives us his testimony. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I I myself will not be disqualified. For the prize. If you want to develop self-control in your life, Paul says you got to go into strict training. You got to practice self-discipline in all these other areas. 
Second Peter 1, 5 and 6 says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. All self-discipline in life is important, but you know what? Maintaining the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and regular church attendance, the spiritual disciplines are especially important when it comes to growing in self-control. So that's the first way that you can uh, start growing in this fruit of the Spirit. Practice self-discipline. Another way to grow in self-control is to beware of addictions. Beware of addictions. People suffer addictions in so many areas of life, whether food or alcohol or drugs or sex. Jesus said in John 8.32 that when you hold to his teaching, he said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Galatians 5.1 reminds us it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The bottom line is simply this. God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free, so watch out. For anything uh, that can become an, an addiction or snare in your life, hold fast to the truth of Christ and to Christ's teachings, and the truth will set you free. A third way to grow in self-control is not to give in to anger or fear. These are two areas that the Bible especially highlights for us, James 1, 19 and 20 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, we talked about being slow to anger you know, several weeks ago when uh, we were talking about the fruit of patience, and we saw that part of patience is being slow to anger. And just as God's wrath is His controlled anger, against sin, so we need to be in control of our tempers. God is slow to anger. We should be slow to anger as well. It's part of the fruit of self-control. And then we also need to be careful that we do not give in to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 highlights this one. It says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear... No, he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or self-control. And it takes courage and self-control to keep going and doing the right thing even in the face of fear. Don't give in to anger or fear. And then finally, as with all the fruit of the Spirit, ask God right? God is the one who grows each of the fruit of the Spirit uh, in our lives. So ask God. Say, God, please grow, develop the fruit of self-control in my life. Self-control is a gift of God's grace that he gives you in Jesus. Titus chapter 2 tells us this, verses 11 and 12, for the grace of of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and that grace teaches us to say no 
to ungodliness and worldly passions or desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Ultimately, all the fruit of the Spirit are gifts of God's grace in Christ. And so ask God to develop the fruit of self-control in your life. And so we come to the end of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so over the last nine weeks, we've looked carefully at each of the fruit of the Spirit. We've seen how each of them relate to God, how they relate to Jesus, and then once again, how they relate to ourselves. We've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus that God grows in you. Together, the fruit of the Spirit, like like beautiful colors in a painting, uh, they, they paint a beautiful picture or portrait of Christ. Jesus perfectly reflects the character of God, and now God wants you to reflect the character of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love, And it ends with self-control. Love comes first because it is the first fruit, as we said, which contains all of the others. Self-control, it's important, okay? It's in the list. But it means nothing without love. Without love for God, love for Jesus, love for other people. I will grow in self-control as I allow the Spirit to subdue my desires. And so my prayer for all of us this morning is a result of today's message, first of all, that you will have a new understanding, a fresh understanding of the importance of self-control in your life. I pray that you will be encouraged knowing that self-control is available to you through God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. I pray you will remember the key to self-control is giving God control. And I pray that each of us will seek to grow more like Jesus in this last and such an important, beautiful fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and what it teaches us about this last fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we, we need your help. Uh, We are all lacking in self-control. Perhaps we've got some areas are are, are doing well, but we all have those areas where we are, where we're lacking, where we're fighting God. And so, Lord, we need to come to you. We need to plead your mercy and grace. We need to do those things that we can, but, Lord, we do it all relying upon your Holy Spirit, upon your grace. And we ask that you would grow your fruit of self-control in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.